Today on Government Matters, new telework guidance has dropped for all federal employees. We sit down with Kieran Ahuja, Director of the Office of Personnel Management, to discuss the growing importance of alternative work options across the government. Plus, OPM's new hiring policy to recruit more college grads to government jobs, the ongoing effort to increase young workers in the federal space, and the role of equity and inclusion across the board. And federal workers can now get paid leave to take their kids to get vaccinated. And the steps OPM is taking to move toward a fully vaccinated federal workforce. Government Matters starts right now. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Mimi Gerges. This is Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news trends and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm Mimi Gerges. The Office of Personnel Management, or OPM, has new telework guidance for federal employees in response to the growing interest in remote and telework options. The supplemental guidance will give agencies resources to support those alternative work op options for their employees. Kieran Ahuja is the director of OPM. Kieran, welcome. It's so nice to have you. Nice to be here. Thank you so much. So give us a brief overview of what the, the new guidance is from OPM um, on telework and remote work. Sure. Well, as you can imagine, we're in kind of unprecedented times about um, how we're thinking about work, especially uh, really being in a maximum telework posture um, within the federal government for, um, goodness, 18, 19 months now. And so I think, you know, we're now in a place where we can say, uh, you know, at one point, and I'll, I'll be uh, uh, a person kind of in this role, whereas a manager, you know, we didn't think it was possible to, 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 to manage people, you know, in a telework fashion, and we wanted to see people kind of right there in, in our offices, and things have changed so drastically, and we wanted to take that into consideration that uh, we're really in a new world and space, um, really, as we talk about future of work. So this guidance or guide is really a comprehensive 60-page plus document because we know our HR folks in government <laughs> want all the details. It's got to be so 60 it's like, pages. It's a one-stop shop of like all of the information there. But what it does do is say, listen, we were able to do this in a time of, you know, uh, an emergency, national emergency. We've learned a lot of good things about how we can do this work. We know it fits with the lifestyle, the works, you know, kind of, uh, you know, workplace uh, responsibilities as well as family responsibilities. We know this is what our employees want. And so this guide more than ever actually leans into uh, that we should really be, you know, promoting uh, liberal telework. And one thing this guide also does is actually start talking about remote work. That has not been the case uh, in the federal government. And so I just think it's really this idea uh, and concept that we're talking about, not just in the federal government, but the private sector, which is the future of work. And so a part of that guide is also a future of work website that we're putting out. So we, as the largest employer in the country, not only want to be a model of what this looks like and know that I think we've realized our workers are important in the pandemic and we need to support them in the sense of the whole person that we bring. Um, and so how do we do that? And when you say remote work, that's mm -hmm. kind of like permanent telework. That's right. somebody living somewhere completely right. different right. and not coming into the office right. at And all. if you think about it, you know, it does expand the government's applicant you know, pool. Uh, I don't have to live in D.C. You or don't have to live. Well, in fact, 85 percent of the work for federal workforce lives outside of D.C. But what it does do is there are opportunities in rural parts of the country. Uh, we have a new uh, regulation out there that is also um, a pathway for military spouses 
when they're often moving uh, with their spouses. And so, you know, really being able to have a career uh, that they can do remotely. So I think it just really upends and really helps us think more expansively. But Karen, why now? Mm -hmm. uh, we, we've been doing this, you, I mean, you said, for a year and a half. Yeah. So yeah. What, why the guidance now? Well, you know, it's interesting. We kind of, when the Telework Act came out in 2010, I think we kind of like putt-putted along around, you know, the number of individuals who were teleworking. Again, this idea from managers to really get, get their head around, okay, can I really, can, I, can we still feel productive? Can I hold my, our, you know, ourselves accountable, um, both to the agency and to Congress? about you know how to do that and I think that we realized that we can we went from less than 10 percent telework to more than 50 percent and the government's been functioning so I just think it it created the shift but for the pandemic we would not be here you know I wonder what you've heard from federal employees about mm -hmm. this new flexible yeah. environment yeah. well you know I think that folks are, are are a little bit all over the place but I think um, there are many individuals and employees who who don't want to be in the office five days a week and you know, if we think about the commute, uh, if we think about how we want to really lean into a more eco-friendly work environment, so uh, it does also help us. You know, it really does uh, really push the conversation also on the federal physical footprint that we have. And uh, I know the GSA administration has talked on the Hill about you know a number of leases coming available in the coming years. So it's it just truly redefining uh, the workspace as well as the workplace. So, Kieran, this is guidance. Mm -hmm. It's not a mandate. Yeah. So, how does that work? How much flexibility do individual agencies have to implement this? Mm -hmm. There is. There's quite a bit of flexibility. I mean, I think you know. Again, we understand that agencies, uh, the federal government, two million plus employees, and uh, lots of different roles. So, not every position is going to fit with a maximum telework posture so I think there has to be that flexibility we also know that more than 50 percent of our federal workforce actually shows up on the job every day because that's a part of their role so I think it's those equities that we have to be thinking about and the flexibility is important but I think our uh, our leaders understand in order to be competitive uh, and we we absolutely have a huge mandate we need to be competing with the private sector uh, oftentimes they feel like they're competing with each other <laughs> in other agencies so you know I wonder about cost of living adjustments you know okay. now that we're talking about remote mm -hmm. um, what if you're not in a high a very expensive area like DC mm -hmm. and you're living in somewhere much less expensive are you thinking about those kind of issues sure and so in that guide it does talk about how the salary adjusts based on you know what is considered kind of your duty station and so if you are designated as remote you are in that location, uh, not necessarily where your kind of headquarters office is located, and so that's how your salary gets determined. Uh, but we're also, think also thinking about opportunities outside of salary of like how do you build community in like a joint federal workspace with lots of different agencies. So, you know, there is this piece around how do you have the collaboration and camaraderie that I do think people want and want to have some time in the office. We've been talking about it as a hybrid work environment. Right. There's a lot to consider, mm -hmm. obviously. Okay, we're going to take a quick pause right sure. here, and then we'll continue. Mm -hmm. Coming next, more of my conversation with Director Ahuja about her role at OPM. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. I'm here with Kieran Ahuja. She's the director of the Office of Personnel Management. Kieran, uh, OPM suffered a two cyber attacks actually six years ago in, in 2015. It compromised the data of millions of current, former, even prospective federal employees. Mm -hmm. What protections are in place now to make sure something like that doesn't happen again? Uh, you know, it's it's a it's an important question. I think if if anything, uh, probably more so than at that time six years ago, uh, you have the entire. Uh, community within the federal government really kind of you know involved in and how to protect cyber attacks across the government you know I think if anything OPM was a bit of that lesson of what needs to be in place you know we have a cyber EO uh, that that's been set out by the president we have a pretty uh, robust uh, working group and and the organization that's really happening we have new agencies being set up um, to to manage this and, and certainly for OPM I mean what it did do is really put us ahead of others, you know, of, of the kinds of, uh, uh, you know, security protections we need to have in place, um, the kind of cyber education, the security tools, incident response, I mean, all of that has been put in place during that time. I actually came in literally right after the data breaches because of what happened. As that, chief of staff. As chief of staff, and that was kind of my orientation to the agency, which was... But you're confident now that this kind of data can't be stolen again. You know, listen, I, I can speak with as much confidence as, as we can with, with the protections we have in place, but I think it is, it, we are fully aware of the challenges that are still in front of us, which is we, we still sit on legacy systems. That is what Congress has talked about. That's why we have the new modernization fund to be able to modernize across the federal government. But until that happens, until we really become cloud-based, you know, uh, the technology and government, we're always going to feel a little behind with those cyber attacks. You know, they become robotic and, and they've become much more sophisticated. So again, you know, the idea is, and we have a new CIO, uh, incredible, who came in a couple of years ago and now has become our permanent CIO. Uh, you know, part of that is bringing in the leadership, um, also making sure we have the set of skills with the individuals that we have within our CIO shop, as well as in other agencies. So I think, again, you know, the federal government has to manage both the kind of technology we need, the support of Congress to do that, and the individuals have the skills to help us move off of these older systems to what is the modern security systems. Well, speaking of IT and cyber, right. the federal government is hiring mm -hmm. uh, cyber professionals, mm -hmm. IT professionals. That's a big part of OPM's mission. Absolutely. Is there anything new and innovative that you're doing to attract new talent into the government? Absolutely. I mean, that is going to be my priority uh, while um, as OPM director. And I, I think that there is, uh, we've had this, I think, marketing branding challenge and being on TV talking <laughs> about that, is that, you know, we win on mission when it comes to federal government. I mean, there's amazing work that is happening. I mean, we just, you know, put out a vaccine and I don't know how many months, unprecedented. And I, and I think we forget to really tout that the mission-oriented aspect of federal government, and that is what I think early career talent, young people, are really interested in. They're driven by the difference that they can make. I know when I was coming out of law school, the only place I wanted to be was working in the federal government, and I came through a feeder program, the honors program at the Department of Justice, and so that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to contribute. I felt like it was my civic duty. So we want to make sure that there is that pathway. So a couple of things that we've been doing is we've recently issued a couple of uh, regulations, what we call hiring authorities, 
I guess that's government speak, but it's basically a pathway to bring in more interns. We've dropped our intern numbers drastically, and also recent graduates that we just released recently, which is just a much faster way to bring uh, individuals early in their careers, and the fact that you can make up to 72000 whether you're a student full-time or you know a recent grad. I mean, this is also about government jobs are good-paying jobs, so not only can you do something that's fulfilling, it is something that really is building your career for years to come. You know, it's only 8%, less than 8% of the federal workforce is under mm -hmm. 30. Mm -hmm. That's a serious issue with bringing in young people. But on the other side, you know, you're also trying to bring back retired mm -hmm. um, uh, workers back into the federal government. Tell me about that. So, you know, we did early on also issue what we call like a rehire regulation, which is, you know, why should individuals who've gone out into the private sector be penalized for being out there and coming back in and being at the same grade versus like they actually had experience when they were outside to come. So, you know, there's efforts that we have underway um, to really encourage those who've left, who have the institutional knowledge uh, that we need in the federal government. You know, we have a major mandate with the passage of the Infrastructure Jobs Act. There's going to be there was already significant hiring, Mimi, in the government. Now, with the mandate and the kind of work that needs to happen, OPM is leading that charge around surge hiring across the federal government. And we actually see this as an opportunity to pull in early career talent um, in this effort. It is building back better inside the federal government. You know, you're the first Asian American woman to mm -hmm. lead the OPM. What about recruiting people of color and adding diversity into the workforce? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, OPM, as a, a part of our expanded mandate, you know that OPM has had some trying times, not just the data breaches, but faced an imminent merger, uh, you know, in the last administration. And so I think, you know, we're really trying to lean into uh, the work that we're doing across the federal government, early career talent, supporting search hiring, and absolutely we're taking the lead on diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. I think, you know, we know this is tried and tested in the private sector that your, your, your workforce should reflect the diversity of this country because it only benefits, uh, benefits the work that you do. And so there's a lot of efforts in place that we are focused on. And we see this focus on early career talent uh, as a way to really increase the diversity in the federal government. Coming next, we wrap up our conversation with Director Ahuja about the latest initiatives from OPM. We'll be right back. Welcome back to our conversation with Kieran Ahuja. She's the director of the Office of Personnel Management. Kieran, continuing our conversation about hiring and especially in the high tech fields, how are you um, coordinating with other agencies on that? Um, I want to ask you especially about GSA because they have a, a program called the U.S. Digital Corps. How does that work? So it's, you know, it's a fellowship program, a two-year fellowship program. It is their effort, you know, to uh, bring in early career talent. I, I think one thing we're realizing is that um, the federal workforce is aging, generally speaking, uh, and that includes the IT personnel. And so we want to be able to, again, bring them in and really attract them to exciting projects that are happening. So the first year is about 30 individuals uh, the, the, who will come into this program. The response has been overwhelming. 
And so I would dare say that we absolutely need to be expanding that program because the demand, the interest, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a direct pipeline into these uh, positions. And so I think right now, as we're starting off, there's a little bit of an imbalance of the level of excitement and interest and in, you know, the number of positions that we have as we pilot this program. Um, but the idea is to really build on that effort. I want to circle back to what we were talking about, about diversity, mm -hmm. um, equity, inclusion. That's a big push for the mm -hmm. administration. But during your confirmation hearing in the Senate, you got a little bit of pushback mm -hmm. on that mm -hmm. um, because, you know, some senators wanted to make sure that you were still focused on merit-based mm -hmm. hiring. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. I mean, I think that, uh, again, diversity, equity, and inclusion, when it's talked about in all sectors, is really considered a good business practice. I don't see how you stay competitive, um, how you bring in the experiences that just make you a better functioning organization without tapping into all experiences. And if you look at the executive order the president signed in late June, uh, that really is a mandate across government, it is looking at diversity in a very wide sense. We're talking about veterans, we're talking about individuals in rural populations, we're talking about uh, the formerly incarcerated, I, you know, again, there, there is a race and eth ethnicity angle, but it's so much more. It's individuals with disabilities. Uh, so I think, again, we're, one of my priorities also, Mimi, is to, the federal government should be a model employer. And I think, frankly, we are a bit behind the ball game when I see what's happening in the private sector around diversity, equity, inclusion. So again, one perfect example is, you know, DC, we are the capital of unpaid internships. <laughs> And That's one true. one way of lay, you know kind of leveling the playing field is that asking agencies going forward that all intern internships are paid, because not every you know young person can afford to work for free, nor should they. So, yeah, well, I agree with you on that. <laughs> <laughs> so, how's the vaccine mandate going? Because um, you know the deadline for that second shot or the last shot has passed. That mm -hmm. was November eighth. Mm -hmm. How many people missed it? What what does it look like? Well, you know, Mimi, I think uh, one thing we can all agree on is that we all want to get past this pandemic. And we know the best tool in our toolbox is the vaccine. And that's what we're seeking to do. We know we cannot bring back a, and have a safe work environment without getting as many federal workers vaccinated. And so that's the effort that's taking place right now. It is, again, I, I use this word model employer a lot. Uh, we have, you know, both being the largest employer in this country, um, as well as I think uh, you know, not only a public duty, a moral duty uh, to be positioning ourselves and saying, listen, we need to create a work, safe work environment. This is for the efficient administration of government, for the public health, not only for our workers, but for their families and communities. And the president is doing everything he can to ensure that we can, you know, get ourselves back on track. So, and that's taking place across agencies. They are uh, collecting the attestations, the documentation. They're still in the midst of determining who's requesting accommodations. And so we're going through that process. But what I can tell you, DOD, Department of Defense was ahead of us as far as um, the requirement. And just in a short time, they've gone to 96% of their military, active military personnel are vaccinated. I mean, the vaccination rates are definitely going up yes. in the federal government, but there are some people that are refusing. Mm -hmm. So what happens? Are, I mean, are they gonna get fired? 
You know, this effort is really about getting individuals vaccinated. We are not in the job of removing people from their positions. I've just been talking with you for the past, I don't know how many minutes, about wanting people to come into the federal government. And we need all these individuals in their seats. So the idea is that there's a lot of flexibility built into the system. Uh, you know, there are those deadlines because we need to drive towards those deadlines. We also know that the numbers start to tick up as you get closer to those deadlines. But there's a lot of flexibility. The education and counseling effort um, is there to encourage people to get vaccinated. You've even seen in some cases, even when individuals have been suspended, as soon as they want to go and get their vaccine, all of that pauses. So this is really about driving more of the, the vaccination numbers, getting people vaccinated so we can get back to work. Well, you were sworn in in June mm -hmm. as the director, and I can sense your passion about federal workers. What have you been most proud of so far? You know, I think we haven't talked as much about this, and I do just really want to share. It's been, this is the only place I wanted to be when asked to come back into the federal government. I served in the Obama administration for almost the entire time. I had no plans to come back. Uh, to serve uh, in another administration. Not that I wouldn't want to, but just uh, it just was not, I guess, on my radar. And when I was asked to step up and to lead this agency, it's absolutely where I want to be because of what this agency has gone through, the kind of role that we can play. This is the moment for like workers, and I would even say for HR, because we are redefining what work is, and we need an agency like OPM to be front and center. It's an amazing group of individuals in that agency. I care deeply about every single person in that agency um, and the work that they do. And that just, that translates to how deeply we care about the federal workforce and how important they are to the work that we do in this country. Kieran, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you for the work that you do mm -hmm. and, and thank you for coming by and talking to us. Thank you. If you miss an episode of Government Matters, it's on our website, govmatters.tv. And listen to our Government Matters podcast, available on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. You can also find every episode on our website. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 10.30 on WJLA 24-7 News and Sunday mornings at 10.30 on 7 News to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Mimi Gerges.